With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. If you can't believe what you're hearing, get the straight talk from Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. From the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, my name is Charlie Robinson. Thanks for hanging out with me for the next hour. If you want to connect with me, you can do so via email, charlierobinson at tntradio.live, or you can follow me on Twitter at Macroaggressions. You can catch my podcast, Macroaggressions, wherever podcasts are served. Uh, we've got Benjamin Rubenstein coming up in the first segment. Gardner Goldsmith will be in the second part of the show. But let's start off with some news headlines, shall we? Angered by Biden's stance on Israel, U.S. Muslims pledge to ditch him in 2024. I guess uh, now it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get 81 million votes. It looks like it might be time to replace him with the Gavin Newsom doll right on schedule. John Bolton says Biden administration, quote, scared to death of left wing extremists. <laughs> could you could you imagine being called an extremist by John Bolton, the war mustache himself? My goodness, that is a that's quite a feat. He says that uh, the Biden administration is weak when it comes to dealing with Iran, Ukraine, North Korea, Hamas, and China. And he vowed to join the U.S. military and fight these people himself. Oh wait, never mind. No, he just wants your sons and daughters to go and die on behalf of uh, his his buddies. Gold. It's an all-time high. It finally crossed $2,100 for the first time ever. Bitcoin moves past 40000 for the first time since mid-2022. I think people are starting to have questions about the banking institutions and maybe trying to look for an exit strategy. Well, Elon Musk announced last week that he had filed what he called a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters for America. He he said that they would been they had been instrumental in targeting his advertisers and creating a boycott for his um, for X, creating a revenue drain, and he has vowed to sue them for tortious interference. He's not alone though, and he's not unreasonable to take this stance. Now it seems that the video streaming platform, video sharing platform Rumble, has jumped into the fray as well. And they have filed a federal defamation suit. Um, and it appears that they're going to one of their financial backers to finance this lawsuit. If you recall, a couple of years ago, Peter Thiel got into a bit of a squirmish with uh, Gawker when they outed him as being gay. And as a point of retribution or retaliation, he decided that he would finance the lawsuit of Terry Bollea, otherwise known as Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan won that lawsuit, wound up putting um, Gawker completely out of business, not just uh, not just from a corporate standpoint, but also I think bankrupted the owner of Gawker uh, as well. So now we've got Rumble getting involved in this. They are suing uh, you know they're they're they've been put through the ringer as well. Once they decided that they weren't going to cancel Russell Brand, who has a uh, exclusive deal with them, they decided that they weren't going to participate in the cancel culture charade by by throwing him to the wolves without any sort of proper trial or just some sort of media 
media witch hunt. So it's interesting to see where we go. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with who Media Matters is, Media Matters was started by David Brock. David Brock is a very interesting character and not in the good way either. He initially came to prominence in the late 90s when he went after Bill Clinton. And then in a very unusual turn of events, wound up pivoting and becoming Hillary Clinton's campaign manager was driving in the campaign for Hillary Clinton was a bundler, was raising tons of money on their behalf. So somewhere along the way, David Brock, who apparently can be bought, uh, decided to switch sides. And now he's... Uh, part of this group media matters which is facing lawsuits now not just by x but also it, it appears that uh, maybe the floodgates will open up uh, newsguard center for countering digital hate and the adl have all also been named as groups that might wind up finding themselves on the other side of a lawsuit if they continue with their censorous ways of trying to defame and destroy the alternative media or anybody with a view that uh, counters from the establishment mainstream narrative so it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out Elon has a tendency to get involved and throw his weight around when it comes to things that seem to matter to him. Now, I, I am of the opinion that, uh, you know, there's still a lot of long way to go with regard to how free Twitter is or X because there's still a lot of shadow banning and, and the like. But it, it's undeniable that the FBI has been kicked out of there and that some of the other groups that had uh, an undue influence have been routed out and uh, and sent packing. We'll see how this plays out. It's an interesting it's an interesting uh, development to see that that um, when Peter Thiel gets involved, now you've got a lot of money. I mean, I, you better hope if your media matters, you better hope that you don't that you that you do get the gawker treatment and not the not the palantir treatment that Peter Thiel could also unleash on you as the co-founder of that. And they generate 97% of their revenue from the Pentagon. So um, you better be careful who you mess with. Siaka Masakai, a conservative actor and longtime friend to TNT Radio, has just become the latest victim of political persecution over the January 6th Fedsurrection, apparently having spent approximately 60 seconds too long, just a little too close to an entryway door at the ill-fated event. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Hey, Ruckus, how are you? Good, good, Charlie. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is uh, I hate it when the news involves people I actually know. Um, I consider Siaka a, a, a friend. Uh, I know he's close friends with Joseph Arthur. I've had the pleasure of speaking with him many, many times on this network right here. So sad to hear the news. Uh, but yes, Siaka Massaqua. Uh, he is a conservative actor. Um, you would recognize him if you knew who we were talking about. If you don't already know his name, he was arrested by the FBI over the weekend, I believe, or just recently, November 30th, charged with misdemeanors in connection with his presence during the Jan 6, 2021 U.S. Capitol breach. You know, they, they name this event so many different things, depending on where you are reading the source from. Um, the FBI arrested Mr. Massaqua as he arrived home from a movie premiere, according to a legal defense fundraising effort set up in his name. At the time, he was with his pregnant wife, Charlotte. The FBI separated them and took him to jail. 
Um, we have a description uh, provided alongside his fundraising account on Give, Send, Go, which gives us some more details. It says, quote, Charlotte was told the charges had to do with January 6th. However, she was not presented with any arrest warrant. Siaka was taken to Monterey Park Jail, where he stayed overnight and was told that he was being charged for four misdemeanors pertaining to his presence outside of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, end quote. Um, he's told this story, but the FBI did raid his home back in 2021. Uh, it's very sad because uh, this lovely couple are expecting their first child right around the corner in March. Um the fundraising account also goes on to say, quote, this family has been through so many ups and downs. A circus would be a more appropriate term for the turmoil and unnecessary display of government overreach that they have had to endure, end quote. Such is the story with all of these Jan 6 people who have been persecuted. When is this going to stop? Uh, the fundraiser has a goal of raising $115,000 to cover legal expenses. Uh, we're, we're, it looks like they've raised 42580 as of uh, December 3rd, yesterday. Uh, Mr. Mesquai has acted in hit TV shows, including SWAT, NCIS, Los Angeles, and Lethal Weapon. Um, according to uh, one podcast host, Lori Mills, keeping track of everything, thank you, Lori, on her Twitter, uh, said that he was arraigned on December 1st and was released with conditions in a post on X. She says, quote, this judge was fair preliminary trial next week we are praying it gets thrown out as dc wants the case end quote so what did he do well you can go to his twitter account uh, that's at uh, well it's underscore siaka massaqua uh, it's m-a-s-s-a-q-u-o-i in case you don't know how to spell his name um, but you can see what he did and he was basically uh kind of just standing about 60 seconds in front of an entryway and from all accounts, from what you can tell when you watch this video, uh, looks like he was kind of helping the cops get this massive throng of people out the door uh, safely. So I guess that's a crime now. Um, all of this is just terrible. This is such sad. Uh, a lot, of, Luckily, a lot of um, big names and political commentators, celebrities coming out to his defense, including actress Gina Carano, who called the arrest a quote unquote political persecution. Uh, she says, quote, Siaka is an incredible human being. What is happening to him is disturbing and wrong enough already. We should not be having to try this hard to defend ourselves from our own government. It's sickening. Uh, end quote. Uh, Seth Dillon, founder of the Babylon Bee, also called the arrest a per political persecution that cannot be allowed to continue. He says, quote, he just isn't isn't just a talented actor and friend of the Babylon Bee. He also happens to be a Trump supporter and he's being punished for it by our government. End quote. Even ex-owner and Tesla CEO Elon Musk has weighed in and said that this has gone too far. So just wanted to bring attention to this. Uh, like I say, it always sucks when people you know make the news, right, Charlie? It happens when we're in this business. Uh, but this Jan 6 thing's really got to stop. But what say you? Yeah, well, it seems like the plan is just to just to let the general public know what happens when you have the audacity to stand up for yourself and go against the establishment narrative. January 6th has been, um, you know, in in many ways, very enlightening. It shows you what the government really thinks of the general public. It shows that there's no line that they won't cross, that they'll lie, that they'll infiltrate it with 200 federal agents and then pretend like that's not happening. This is, of course, we know that this is going on. It felt like very much like a trap while it was 
was happening, but I had no idea it was going to turn out like this. I had um, a chance to speak with Owen Schroyer in Austin, Texas, when I was there in August for the American Liberty Awards, and um, and and chatted with him a little bit about, hey, what's what do you think is going to happen with your case? He says, I don't know. I've been advised to really just not talk about it. Well, he's scheduled to be released from prison this Friday, so that's finally some good news. But I'll tell you what, uh, Ruckus, I think that this is going to have the exact opposite effect that they want because this is a, a ten, this has a tendency to rally people and to show you listen this is what your tyrannical government will do to you if they'll do this to you for january 6th over a nothing event just think what they'll do when you actually stand up uh, uh later on down the road and of course i think that's the point of it all don't you that that they want you in the back of your mind to go mm, i don't know if i'm going to go to that event because i might wind up in jail for standing too close to a building right it's it's definitely meant to send a message to everybody around, you know, you know, I guess I almost said around the world, but in a way it is because, you know, America's supposed to be the place where you're allowed to do this without fear of persecution, right? So, holy moly, if if the, the right to free speech fails in America, where, where's left on the planet? I don't know. You know I don't I don't think there is one, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, this is, reminds me, of, I, I still haven't seen it yet, but uh, Dinesh D'Souza's new film, Police State, that everyone's ranting and raving about. Uh, so I'm going to have to watch it. Um, the theme also there in that that film, you can tell I've, I've watched the trailer. I've heard interviews with him on the network here and other places. So, yes, it, it's clear that they're trying to send a message. And, you know, I, but at what at what cost? You know, I mean, this is just wrong. So I don't know. I hope one day um, I would imagine I would like to think that if Trump were to put, you know, be put back into you know, a position of a power to where he could do something about it, that he would hopefully pardon these people. But there's a lot of debate about whether or not he would even do that, Charlie. Yeah, well, you could pardon them if you want to, and hopefully he would if he were in a position to do so. But uh, the damage has been done. The message has been sent. The ship has sailed. I mean, this is this is the America that we're living in now. It used to not be this way, or at least we used to not think it was this way. Maybe it really was and we didn't know it. But but this is it's out in the open now. And I think it's undeniable that we have that the Justice Department has been completely weaponized. It's utterly compromised from the inside. And if you think that you're going to get a fair trial on anything having to do with uh, some sort of support of Donald Trump, you are sorely mistaken. It has been shown to us that if you support that man in any way, shape or form, you will be made to pay a very steep price, even possibly losing your freedom. Yeah. You want to hear one of my really weird, dark black pill theories? Because just because conspiracy theories are it. fun. All right. Let's let's just pretend for a second. I know this is going to offend some of the listeners. What if Trump is not like a nice guy? What if like the trick, the trick is to get everybody to throw even more support behind him this time around to just guarantee that he goes in to office and then he can do whatever he wants? Because I hate to bring it up, but I remind folks it was under his presidency that we got those jibby jabs rushed through so quickly as we did so you know sometimes I, I can't trust any politician any millionaire even donald trump sometimes so if that there was some something weird or dark about that guy i'm not saying it is what an interesting psychological op to get this many more people behind him because they'll feel like oh wow we went to prison for him and then when he became president again he freed us they would be the most loyal customers as it were uh for the rest of their lives i'm just saying this is a weird theory nothing to it just my thoughts 
That's what we pay for is your thoughts. We want them. <laughs> Thank you for your uh, report on this, Ruckus. It's very important that we we not allow January 6th to just go the way of uh, some of the other incidents that we've had where we where the news cycle forgets about it. We move on to something else and those people waste away inside a prison cell somewhere. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thanks. Take care, Ruckus. Hey, if you missed your favorite TNT radio show or interview, simply listen back when you want, wherever you want. Just visit episodes on the TNT radio website. We are also on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. There's no reason to miss out on anything on TNT Radio. Take us back in time, and who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son. And yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The fall of deceit at SalemNow.com. It sounds pretty good. It's it like, sounds real, it's dude. Not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We're back with the Charlie Robinson Show. Our first guest is a Jewish anti-imperialist and proud American journalist coming to us live from Nicaragua, ladies and gentlemen, Benjamin Rubenstein. Hey, Benjamin, how are you? Good to meet you. I'm great, Charlie. Thanks for having me on. Well, we need to talk about the Middle East because it's in the news. I wish we were talking about unicorns and rainbows, but unfortunately we're not. We have to talk about this. I just saw a headline showing corruption trial of Netanyahu resumes. What do we make of this? Because this has been, it's no secret that he's been under fire from the people inside his own government. This has been going on for a long time and there's no 
doubt that he is a, a corrupt individual. The question is, do did he provoke or allow something to happen on October 7th as the justification to create a, a distraction, to give him the authority to remain in power? What, uh, you know, I get a bad feel. Every time I see this guy speak, I I, I feel like I am watching evil. And, um, and it's been 40 years of this. So he's been very consistent, if nothing else. But uh, do you think he's trying to distract us away from his own political failings? I think there's a pretty good chance that that's the case. You know, apparently I've seen reports that Israeli intelligence, like the Shin Bet and the Mossad, had information on this kind of activity happening on October 7th for over a year, and it went ignored, whether that was intentional or just a sort of colonial sort of arrogance is yet to be determined. But there is there are indications that people knew that this was going to happen beforehand. There were journalists embedded there were stock trades which came out today hundreds thousands of trades short sales happened on israeli stocks about a week before so some people were clearly intending to line their pockets whether that was certain factions of the israeli elite or perhaps hamas themselves preparing for the inevitable is yet to be determined. But one thing's for sure, Netanyahu is corrupt and he's been seeing this coming for some time. As soon as the war ends, he's out. You've already got Yer Lapid, who is the opposition leader in the Knesset, calling for him to resign and growing calls as well throughout the Knesset. Now, Netanyahu has had to establish a sort of coalition with these horrible fascist far-right extremists like Itamar Ben-Gavir, who is arming pogromist settlers throughout the West Bank and basically giving them the green light to do whatever they want. It's a horrible situation. And the situation in Gaza is, is getting so much worse. At the same time, you have Secretary Blinken and the Biden regime basically calling for a, a, a renewed effort on the two-state solution, while Netanyahu is essentially laughing in their face and telling them that that's not going to happen, even with the Palestinian Authority. You know, some people have been calling for them to take over once Hamas is, quote, wiped out, which is a completely unrealistic goal. Um, you know, I, I did some math somewhere, but somewhere between 30 to 40,000 Hamas fighters exist, and they only killed about 1,000 in the 51 or so days prior to the ceasefire. So if you do the math, that's almost a four-year war in order to take out every Hamas fighter in that time. Over a quarter of Gaza's civilian population would be murdered, which is a completely unsustainable a series of events for the international community, the likelihood of it spiraling out of control into a regional world war uh, in during that time is is exponential. So I, I think that Netanyahu knows he's on the chopping block. He's going to try to drag this out for as long as he can. He's going to continue escalating and worsening the situation to, to make a ceasefire more and more unlikely, a more permanent ceasefire more and more unlikely just Yesterday, 700 to 1,000 Palestinian civilians were killed uh, in one day. And that's just a couple of days after the ceasefire ended. So the situation is severe and Netanyahu knows he's holding on for dear life. I remember a couple of years ago watching Netanyahu give a speech in front of Congress. And it was like, um, you know, Simon says, stand up. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, like the, the audience, the the congressional body 
was just fully captured every time they every time he said something they applauded and stood up it was almost like they felt like they were being watched i i can't help but get the feeling that um when it comes to who's really in control america likes to think that they're in control but i'll tell you what the due to the actions that I see from the Israelis in general and Benjamin Netanyahu in particular, it seems like if I had to guess, it feels a little bit more like the Israelis are in control. I want to get your thoughts on that on the other side of the break. We're just going to drop out for a quick headline. We'll be right back. Big news. Big news. Big news. The biggest breaking news story. Holy crap. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The Israel Defense Forces spent the first 48 hours of renewed fighting by attacking targets throughout Gaza. Several commercial vessels were attacked on December 3rd in the Red Sea, the Pentagon confirmed. U.S. Central Command said in a statement that there were four attacks against three separate commercial vessels operating in international waters in the southern Red Sea. These three vessels are connected to 14 separate nations. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Back with Benjamin Rubenstein. I have a question. They said that serious consequences for Israel if they target Hamas officials abroad. This is from Turkey. Uh, Israel reported on Sunday that they would, quote, eliminate Hamas figures in Lebanon, Qatar, and Turkey, quote, even if it takes years. That's from the head of Shin Bet. Uh, What happens if the Israelis decide that they're going to go to Turkey and assassinate so-called Hamas leaders inside Turkish borders. Is that going to kick off some sort of uh, uh, amplify this regional conflict? Absolutely. The idea that they can do this without pushback is just absolutely insane. And this is part of the problem. When you were saying that, you know, the Congress, maybe they are owned by the Zionist lobby. And I do think that is more and more true. And you can see in the behavior of the Israelis, the arrogance they have, where they believe they can just go, go launch clandestine assassinations against high level political targets in other countries. It's absurd. In Qatar and Lebanon and Turkey, it's, it's, it's absolutely saying the response from the international community from the governments in the region and not only that but from the axis of resistance themselves would be fierce i mean you know you've got hamas leaders in doha and what a lot of countries don't want people to know and what is actually happening behind the scenes is that these axis of resistance leaders hamas hezbollah Houthi leaders who are in other countries do have frequent communications with other governments. There are relations that go on behind the scenes. And this is for the intent of establishing a peace solution and having these sort of necessary diplomatic back channels that you often see so many times in wars. We saw back channels in the Ukraine war, and they're happening with this war as well. So if Israel goes around assassinating these people, it is going to escalate the situation drastically. And it is worth noting that Israel said that they were going to do this once the Hamas uh, fighters within the Gaza Strip were wiped out, which once again is a completely unrealistic objective. Well, they've got the the um, the goal of Israel. They said they quoted them as saying they're seeking total victory in Gaza. 
I'm terrified to ask the question, what does total victory in Gaza even look like to the Israelis? Sure. Now we saw, you know, in Vietnam and Afghanistan, these popular guerrilla resistance forces, you can't really defeat them. Hamas, you can't really defeat them. You can devastate them. You can take out their leaders. You can bomb civilians and slaughter entire families. But Hamas themselves are popping in and out of tunnels, running up to tanks and then going back inside the tunnels. And you're never going to see those guys again. So the idea that they can just do a systematic attack of these people is, is ridiculous. A, a systematic wiping out of the resistance is ridiculous. And not only that, from Hamas's own numbers, they say 80% of their fighters are orphans, which means that every time Israel massacres a family, they're creating at least one Hamas fighter. So, you know, Hamas's numbers for every Hamas member you kill, I mean, it's a 19 to 1 civilian to combatant death ratio. So you're creating, you know, somewhere between 10 to 20 more Hamas fighters for every uh, uh, Hamas fighter you actually kill. Uh, so, you know, and that's not the only resistance faction within Gaza. There's the DLFP, the Democratic Forces for the Liberation of Palestine. There's the PLFP, the Popular Liberation Front Um there's the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and there's dozens more. Uh, and, you know, the idea that you can just wipe out the resistance uh, under a genocide is just foolish. You know, they're even in Holocaust concentration extermination camps. There was resistance uh, no matter what. For example, uh, Alexander Pachersky was a Jewish Soviet officer who, who was in who was in uh, a, a, an extermination camp, and he liberated that extermination camp from the inside, and that's sort of what you saw uh, happening on October seventh. And whether these atrocities that Israel are claiming or not actually happened or are as bad as they claim, that we've still yet to see any evidence of rapes. Even CNN said that the sources had undisclosed government ties. Haritz themselves, after the gray zone exposed it, admitted that an Apache helicopter had killed plenty of Israelis in the Nova Music Festival. We've also seen reports that Israeli tanks were shelling the kibbutzes themselves, regardless of the uh, civilians within inside those houses. So this all is, is, is similar to the sort of incubator baby uh, excuse we saw uh, to start the uh, invasion of Iraq. And, and really, um, you know, what this is, is just, it's, it's, it, reminds me of sort of the the dying cries of a colonial regime you know i don't know if israel is going to exist in the same capacity that it does now in say five years i think the pressure is mounting and israel is is losing the information war they're losing popular support especially amongst young people uh and i, I think that they're going to continue to become more and more aggressive more and more genocidal and use more and more fascist tactics as their uh demise is being spelled out on the the world stage. Yeah, this is the greatest recruiting vehicle you could ever possibly create to grow an entire new generation of Hamas fighters. Also, we have uh, the demographics of Gaza, 50% under 18. That's a that's a recipe for lifelong fighters. 
children that have grown up knowing nothing but living under those conditions and living in an occupied territory. So look, I can't blame anybody for wanting to stand up to their captors, be this Gaza, be this in, in, in the concentration camps that you spoke of in the 40s or wherever. But I wonder, is Israel really in a huge hurry to get rid of Hamas? Because as long as Hamas is there, it gives them the justification that they need to do the things that they've always wanted to do, which is remove the Palestinians from that land. So, so is 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 Hamas not sort of a necessary component for Israel? Well, I think they definitely need an enemy to unite the the Zionist population behind. I, I think you're absolutely correct. You know, a lot of people, and I, I personally agree that a lot of the rhetoric you see around October seventh. Now, we've already gone through how much of that is. Uh, been proven to be false or at least unsubstantiated, uh, a lot of that is is simply no more than an excuse to continue their colonial project. And you see that in the rhetoric of, of many Israeli politicians who are openly calling for uh, genocide. You've got Israeli spokespeople saying that there are no innocent civilians in Gaza. What they really want, what this is really about, it's not about defeating Hamas and making Jewish people safe. This is about ethnically cleansing Palestinians from the land so they can make it a Zionist, a completely Zionist state. And they won't stop in Gaza. They won't stop in the West Bank. They're going to go more into Syria. They've already taken the Golan Heights. They're going to go into Jordan. They're going to go into Lebanon. And this is all going to happen if Israel is allowed to continue its activities. Yeah, it's a terrible situation all the way around. I hate, I'm anti-war at my core. I hate to see any of this. There's no good outcomes when it comes to well, when it comes to fighting in the Middle East, Benjamin, what's the best place for people to find your work? The best place to find me is at Ben F. Rubenstein. That's R-U-B-I-N-S-T-E-I-N on X or formerly Twitter. Thank you so much. We appreciate your insight into this very polarizing and difficult situation. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charlie. On the other side of the break, we will be back for a final segment with Gardner Goldsmith. This is TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, of course, the biggest story in climate right now is Vice President Kamala Harris leaves for the climate conference with the biggest carbon footprint in history. She's heading to Abu Dhabi or whatever for COP28 in Joe's place with hosts under fire for wanting to push oil and gas deals. Do you know why there's so many people there? Because they realize what a scam this is and they're trying to push oil and gas deals. Anyway, she left and there's 400,000 people expected there. Now, do you really believe that there's 400,000 people are all interested in eliminating fossil fuels? I would say there are quite a few of them, given Abu Dhabi is in the Middle East and there's a lot of oil in the Middle East, that are seeking to do business because they know what a scam this is. And let's see, at its head, Sultan Al-Jabbar has denied reports he's using meetings at the summit to make side deals on fossil fuels produced by the United Arab Emirates. I'm sure he's smart enough to probably be doing that. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather, even if we can't go over to Abu Dhabi, because it's the only weather you got. Need a ride? Yeah! Driving with kids is a big responsibility. Hop in and buckle up! So don't sweat the small stuff. You got paint all over our paper! 
Get the big stuff right instead. What does that mean? Like making sure your kids are in the correct car seat and buckled up for safer travel. That deserves a wiggly wiggly wig. To make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. You have the power of information. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We are back for a final segment of the Charlie Robinson Show. I want to introduce you to one of the best people in the alternative media. He is a novelist and lecturer in economics and political philosophy, a dedicated voluntarist who previously worked in television screenwriting for the series Star Trek Voyager and The Outer Limits, now hosts the weeknight program Liberty Conspiracy on Rumble and Rockfin. Subscribe to his Substack, my good friend, Gard Goldsmith. Hey, Gard, how, how are you? Good to see you. Oh, it's great to see you too, Charlie. From Gondwana land to Georgia, thanks for covering the globe, man. I really appreciate it. And hello from the uh, the Goldsmith estate. Well, I don't know if the world is ready for this much bald beautifulness, but we're going to give it to him anyway. Uh, <laughs> the Biden administration just fined a Tennessee trucking company $700,000 for checking employment eligibility for job applicants. Guard, I seem to remember when I was back on the in the in the corporate world that uh, when you applied for a job, they wanted to make sure that you lived in the country, you had an ability to work in the country. These seem like reasonable questions. They asked your social security number, your address, you know, places they could send the paycheck, all this stuff. And now it's what, racist? Is it uh, bad form to ask if somebody is actually an American citizen before they take a job working in America for an American company? This sounds crazy to me, but of course, it'd be perfectly on brand for the Biden administration. What are we doing here? Well, man, you know, it's interesting. It sort of combines these two conflicting strains of political authoritarianism that completely conflict with uh, any tradition of the United States federalist concept and more deeply with any concept of freedom and voluntary association. Uh, what we got here is this Chattanooga, uh, Tennessee based trucking company. Uh, they're called Covenant Transport. And then there's this uh, sub company that they have in, in an LLC. And uh, yeah, they got fined 700 grand, no trial, no trial, nothing. You know, you're supposed to have a trial before you get punished, according to the Bill of Rights of the United States. No trial whatsoever. Uh, they got nailed for um, they said that they had uh, violated the Immigration Nationality Act. And yet so what they did was they checked the immigration green card status of anybody who wanted to come work for the trucking company. Because if they hire illegal, so-called illegal aliens, they'll get hit by the federal government for hiring illegal aliens. So they have to check. But the problem is that under this uh, Immigration Nationality Act thing, which, of course, there's nobody who's been shown harm. It's just the government claiming you didn't go by our rules uh, under this thing. If they claim that it was disproportionately um affecting a certain minority group whatever the minority group is that the government thinks should be checked out then you can be fined and so they found that as this company wanted to make sure they weren't hiring illegal aliens they found that hispanic people were being disproportionately affected by their checks and so they fined them seven hundred thousand dollars and it goes to the u.s government no trial and of course we're all going to benefit. Oh, no, we're not. That's right. It goes to the to the bureaucracy. How great. 700,000. I just picture them like 
taking the owner and hanging him upside down and shaking the money out of his pockets for this. This this is, I mean, as if taxation isn't doing that already, then and regulation yeah. and all of the things that you have to comply with. This seems like um something that look, is this the uh, the canary in the coal mine? Is this is this a sign of things to come? I mean, this sounds like well, it's a trucking company today and it's your mom and pop business tomorrow, right? Oh, that's that's an excellent point. You know, I used to warn I used to warn my mother. I'm I'm a voluntarist libertarian, and I used to warn my mother uh, because she would she was a sort of a more traditional Republican for quite a while before she went more libertarian. And I said, Mom, she would she'd be very ginned up about the immigration stuff. And I said, Mom, look, if you want to call yourself a constitutionalist, then you've got to admit the word immigration does not appear in the U.S. Constitution. People conflate the naturalization power that Congress has been granted, and they they claim that it has authority. Well, I don't know where they get this authority. Even the Constitution, it doesn't have authority over me. I never signed it, but they claim that they're going to operate by these rules. So at least we could say operate by your Constitution if you're going to go into this government. It's supposed to be a state issue. Immigration is supposed to be a state issue. It, it was it was something that only changed in 1875 with the Supreme Court decision in, in what was called the Chai Lung v. Freeman case. Before that, even Thomas Jefferson in the Kentucky Resolution Number no. 4 even said a resolve that alien friends on the soil of any of the signatory states are under those states' rules. Now, how you become a citizen, naturalization, that is part of the U.S. Constitution. And if they want to abide by the rules, go ahead. But as far as foreign people being here, it's supposed to be up to the states. Even Texas, when it entered the Union in 1869, Texas finished its constitution. It has a Bureau of Immigration in it. And that's something that nobody seems to pay attention to. You know, all these people are talking about. So I would talk to my mom. I said, Mom, if you want the federal government to handle immigration, then you're going to get a national work ID. You're going to get E-Verify, which they just passed in Florida a while ago under under Ron DeSantis. I guess that was after he went visiting Guantanamo Bay and didn't mind the torture that was going on there. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, there are there are lots of positives and negatives about a lot of these people, but that's one of the negatives there. So so she finally agreed. She's like, yeah, you're right. I was like, that's completely invasive. No Fourth Amendment protections. How these government busybodies can say, give us your records. When in the revolutionary era, Charlie, they would push these guys out of Boston for doing that. They overturned the T for that, the Stamp Act. We're we're here to check your stamps. No, sorry, get the hell away from me, right? I mean, it's right. it's amazing to see how many people in the United States have gotten accustomed to this stuff. And it really all does go back to 1875 and a case where California had brought up the state of California, which under the Constitution could have had its own immigration rules. They brought up a block because they didn't want low wage Chinese laborers to come in and work on the rail lines. The native guys didn't want that competition. So they said that, well, Chinese laborers can't come in. That was challenged. It went to the Supreme Court in 1875 or 1872. And they had this ruling where they just invented it out of, out of thin air. And we ever since that time, everybody debates, especially conservatives who are supposed to be opposed to big centralized government. What do they keep turning to for immigration? Big centralized government. It's like, oh, geez, just keep it in your head on the on the wall. You know, well, look, look luckily. 
Kamala Harris is on the case. She's going to fix it all because she's in charge of the border. And as we saw, the border is totally fine. There's not 7 million people just sauntering across over the last two two and a half, three years. Um, What do you think the ramifications of that are as we start to move into a world where Gavin Newsom is is, uh, making $20 an hour minimum wage, setting, setting, you know, putting in price controls and things like that? Um, Where are we going with this? This seems like an unsustainable sort of uh, situation, but I I feel that maybe the secret that the government isn't saying is that they actually want these people in here. They want for their corporate overlords to give them the cheap labor that they're looking for, the the ability to exploit workers to the extent that they can. I don't see much pushback from the federal government. In fact, the, the minute I saw that they welded some of the doors open at the border, I realized yeah. this is part of a trilateral commission plan to destroy the national sovereignty, to fold this into a North American union at the at the at the highest levels, and it feels very disgusting. What do you think about uh, where we're heading with immigration? Yeah, I, I I think your observation, Charlie, is right on the money, and and I have to say that you know there's been a change as these guys behind the curtain uh, have kind of come forward. Uh, one of the things that I did uh, years ago was I wanted to see whether the claims of of especially conservatives, uh, many union people, uh, they didn't want that competition to come in. They say, oh, it's going to depress native wages. Now, now, like any other uh, part of the production process, you want labor to be as cheap as possible, just like raw materials, just like anything, just like your time, just like energy, heat, you know, the anything you want to use, you want to be able to make it as inexpensive as possible so that consumers, because consumers will turn to something else. The whole point about a productive economy is to get more for less, not more for more effort. That's not the point. That's we have the simple machines because of that. People use the inclined plane even before uh, history was written. You know, two cavemen would realize that if they could slide something up at an angle, one of them, you know, they w- wouldn't need two people to lift a, a big rock. They could just have one guy and the other guy could go be more productive doing something else. So it's all about being able to do more for less effort. The problem that I see coming along is um, when you get government subsidizing people's moves. You know, when was the last time when you wanted to move across the country that you got free hotels, free legal like they have in Massachusetts as they're giving to these illegal immigrants? And again, this all goes towards these people repeatedly banging their heads against the central command and control wall of having one size fits all government do it. It gets everybody arguing because it introduces the tragedy of the commons in economic terms, where because it's one size fits all, everybody's taxes are being used to fund this immigration thing. Everybody's got different opinions about what it should do. And I, and just on a philosophical level, I should bring up this. You know, I often point out, Charlie, that uh, under any government system, any political system, you can't actually say that anything the government does is is valuable. You can't say it's good because no taxpayer has had the ability to choose for himself and valuation has to be voluntary. You can only show what you feel, what you uh, value if you're given a choice. If you're doing something under duress at the point of a gun, if you're paying taxes, you don't know whether Americans really care about Alzheimer's research. You don't know whether Americans really care about heart research when the government does it. The politicians aren't using their own money. So we don't even know. And this is very abstract. But under any and because I'm an anarchist voluntarist under any any political system, if you've got a border, 
you don't even know whether that's where people would really want the border to be. Unless you have private property that can reflect what people actually desire, you can't have a political border. Everybody's going to argue over it and argue over how it's going to be run. So while you make an excellent point about opening up the border, there are a lot of other people who say, no, no, we need the border to be open, right? And they've got all these different arguments and, 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 uh, and these, these different justifications for it. I think the forced migration, this, this subsidized migration is something that many people can agree on. They can say, yeah, you know what? It's immoral to take my neighbor's money in the first place. It's also immoral to take my neighbor's money to give it to somebody else to give them a free move. That changes demographics in an artificial way, and it gives politically favored corporations, whatever it might be, a lot of sway over who, how many and who's going to be moved in. So that's sort of the way that I look at it. You know, I try to just get the political system out of it and and try to draw lessons from all this stuff. Uh, one of them is the decentralization system that the, the founders founded under the Constitution. And the second is the idea that the more people can freely associate, the more natural immigration you get, the better it is. People don't think that. But one of the things that I did just to bring up to you is I decided I'd do some research during high periods of immigration in the United States to see whether native wages really went down. Because if you can lower all of your uh, your costs of factors of production, that leaves the consumer with more money left over. That's good. We want to lower those costs of production. They can then use that on other things. We have leverageable capital that we naturally save, not this inflated currency coming out of nowhere. That can start up new businesses that would never appear if we have to keep funneling our money into where we normally would be paying more, you know, that sort of thing. So I looked it up. It turns out Julian Simon, the great writer of the Ultimate Resource book one and two, who had that bet against Paul Ehrlich about, you know, natural resources and human ingenuity being uh, being able to bring us more in the future rather than less. Um, he had already done the studies. He already looked at all those time periods during really high periods of high immigration. And they found out that native wages didn't go down. Employment went up because consumers could save money. They didn't have to spend more money on stuff. And it seems counterintuitive to people. They say, yeah, but you know, local workers, they won't be getting as much. But there are so many more jobs that are created that people need more workers. They've got the consumers have that extra capital left over that they can spend. So, you know, in economics, it sounds it sounds like, oh, gee, you're not protecting American jobs. But in fact, the lesson is that if you can allow customers, consumers to save money, you will allow for more jobs to be created that you never could have imagined. And living standards can go up. So there's this difference between the artificial government funding of these moves and just getting the hands off. I just want hands off all the way around. Yeah. So, well, yeah. if it was up to Paul Ehrlich, he'd remove 90% of the population from the planet because he's a devout eugenicist and a lunatic. Uh, speaking of lunatics, John Kerry, our climate oh. czar, uh, warned of an out-of-control global warming uh, crisis at the UN uh, COP28 climate conference in Dubai. He said, Antarctica is in danger of melting. How many times are we going to hear this from John Kerry? Talk about the least credible person I think I've ever seen, this wooden Indian of a man. He's talking about how how global warming is going to destroy the planet, dot, 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 
as Europe is 60% covered in snow right now during one of the worst periods of, of time that it's not even winter yet. So yeah. uh, where are we going with climate change? This seems like as a voluntary anarchist, you, I, I mean, I, we've only got four minutes, but I feel like I wound you up and I'm going to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. I'm either the monkey that's going to be hitting the symbols or I'm just going to be marching here. You got me wound up big time. Yeah, John Kerry is one of the most deceitful, uh, unscrupulous, and just slimy characters around next to Al Gore, you know? And uh, the number of times that they've claimed that Arctic sea ice is disappearing, the number of times they've claimed that the Earth is going to explode due to some anthropogenic climate change stuff, uh, I think is only matched by the number of times that it's been shown that these people who are politically connected to the anthropogenic climate change cult have been manipulating data moving temperature readers and doing all sorts of things that are so unscrupulous. So, for example, you've got Michael Mann's hockey stick graph that Al Gore used in An Inconvenient Truth. It starts after the medieval warming period. So if they had shown the medieval warming period rather than starting it here, the temperature would have been up here. But instead, they start it down here and then they make it look like it, temperatures were very, very cool. But if they had gone back another thousand years, temperatures were very, very warm. And if you zoom in on the graph, the argument is that carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and now they've added nitrogen and other things, but at that time it was carbon dioxide in the atmosphere increases global temperatures, right? So they go back, they do isotope readings and all these types of things. If you actually look at the Michael Mann graph that Al Gore used in An Inconvenient Truth and you zoom in on it, you'll see there are two lines. One is red, one is light blue. The red line is carbon dioxide. That line rises after global temperatures go up. And a lot of people have spoken about that. Fred Singer used to work at Competitive Enterprise Institute. He's since passed away. A lot of people have brought this up. It's an 800-year gap between rising carbon dioxide, between rising temperatures and the higher carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere. This whole thing right now, we had 44 centimeters of snow as measured outside of Munich. A lot of these private jets for the climate cult, they got stuck at the airport. They couldn't even take off to get to Dubai. And of course... They've had previous climate uh, arrangements where in Scotland, they were driving around in their electric vehicles and at night they were charging them up with diesel generators behind their hotels. I mean, they're just oh, such you, frauds. It's incredible. You can't even make this stuff up. It's such a scam. I mean, Al Gore it was taught the climate change hustle by uh, his buddy Ken Lay over at Enron uh, right before he uh, dropped out of a heart attack before facing 25 years in prison for fraud. But uh, that's beside the point. I mean, hey, with friends like Ken Lay, who needs enemies? That's Guard Goldsmith, everybody. Check out his Substack wherever you are wherever substacks are found also big thanks to benjamin rubenstein in the first half of the show i'll be back tomorrow 2 p.m eastern don't burn the place down while i'm gone take care <laughs>